My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. I want to call back my daughter and to say your name correctly. Um, I am here with Ariel. Oh, there's a little start. Um, Elias. Elias. Yes. Uh, so another oh, another great question. Uh, I pronounce it Elias. I think the technically correct way is to say like Elias, which maybe your daughter can do if she's learning Spanish. But yeah, Elias is great. Fucking a. Okay. <laughs> I'm here with A.E. as we will go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and she is a fantastic comedian and very funny. And the only thing I don't like about her is that she watches tennis because I find it boring. But then again, um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your fiance is also a, a comedian. He is also a comedian. And a tour guide. And a tour guide. Which yeah. cracked me up. Um, so how you doing during the pandemic which we're in denial of and now we say it's over but it's not really over um how am I doing I would say in this moment on this day (laughs) I am doing (laughs) I am doing well um but that is my condition (laughs) changes constantly and for no reason a lot of times and I'm trying to be better about just acknowledging where I'm at when I'm at it I think the reason is the world's on fire, literally and physically, and um, yes, yeah, or figuratively, and we're all gonna die. Um, but um, but uh, over the summer, a few months ago, some point in the last four to six months, you had you were performing in um, Central Park, which is something that a lot of comedians are doing. Thank God because um, we all need laughs and um, you came up you had a great one-liner that was also picked up on by um, the New York Times which is incredible um, and it really summed up everything it was uh, thank you for being here and shame on you and I'm sure your delivery was better but you did great really, uh, thank you thank you uh, it really I read words off a of paper at school um, <laughs> I really it really captured the like conflicting crazy of our world now which is why I think it struck a nerve and it's um you know like we want to get out we want to do things we want to return back to normal but um is that the right thing to do and yeah it's hard because it's not just we want to get out right it's like we have to get out like there is a balance of like we're all just trying to mitigate these risks And at what point do the mental health risks of staying inside and isolating yourself outweigh the physical risks of potentially catching this virus? Right. So it's, and there's still no clear, I mean, the weird thing about these park shows is that they are technically illegal. So 
because there's no like guidance about how to have ticketed events, like we're literally breaking the law by gathering in a park, even if everybody's wearing masks and everybody's distanced by virtue of having a microphone and by getting paid, we're breaking the law. Okay, so but has anyone action. ever approached, like, has this been a... Yes, this oh. has been a thing. So a lot of the Battery Park shows have gotten shut down. Um, I think one of the Central Park shows did too. It's sort of like they're not quite enforcing it, but sometimes they do. So that's the extra sort of like shame on you for being here. It's like, yeah, and on top of these risks, we're breaking the law which feels like kind of cool <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it feels very like prohibition era sure. comedy. But it also feels like maybe there's better things for the police to be doing. Always. Yeah. I mean, there's always better things for them to be doing. But especially now, I feel like, you know, whatever. I'm glad none of you have been shot. So that's all I have to say. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic here, because we live in Queens, so it's like very epicentery of like my fiance and I thinking at some point, are we going to be locked in our homes and the military and the police are going to come by and distribute uh, meals for everybody and like groceries so that we all stay inside for three weeks and then this is over, which Wow, seems you so had a now. lot of faith in like our government. It's so wild now thinking back then like that'll be worst case scenario. And now thinking like, man, I wish they had done that. That would have been best case scenario. Yes. Right. Um, and so to go from, uh, will the police and military be coming to deliver stuff and that's how they'll be using their time to now being in a park and thinking like, will the police come and shut us down? And that's how they'll be using their time. So they just shut you down. Is there a consequence? Not for the comedians. I don't know if there is for the club. Like, cause it's, the park shows are for the most part put on by Stand Up New York. Um, and then there are like these sort of like other back alley, not back alley, it's not an abortion, but. Um, but it should sort of like, could be, I mean, they're paying more right. attention to the clubs than the abortion. <laughs> yeah, but there, so there are some other like underground shows. I don't know like what, if the club owners get fines or what, or how many like warnings you get, but you know, you get shut down. And for me, the consequence is if I don't go up, I don't get paid. And yeah. I don't have a day job anymore, except for since, but I don't have a regular day job anymore because I, like everybody lost everything kind of overnight in March. So like, that's how I'm paying my rent, which I'm very grateful for. But if it gets shut down, that's my consequence is it's harder for me to pay my rent. So wait, census taking does not pay, does not pay well? Or so yeah, census taking does pay well. It's, um, but it's very temporary and it's very chaotic. Um, but I used to be a dog walker. So you're prepared to juggle things. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing the census taking? So since August, I signed up in March once I lost my job. I, jobs. Um, I signed up. I was hired, I guess, in May. And then it kept getting delayed because of the pandemic. Yeah. And then we had training and then it was still another few weeks before we started going out into the field. And then uh, it started in my neighborhood. Everybody, the idea is like every census taker starts in their neighborhood because like you're supposed to know your neighborhood and people are supposed to trust you. Yeah. Which they do not. It's really just a great way to find out which of your neighbors are assholes. And then you walk around in your normal life and you're like, fuck that guy. And he doesn't remember you at all. Yeah. Um, and now 
because the census is ending so much sooner than it should be, um, because they've they've changed it from four months, which is what it was in a normal year, to two months, which Why? is what it is in a pandemic. Oh, because of the pandemic. Okay. But, well, no, I mean, it's because it's being sabotaged, right? Like, mm. who will be hurt most by not getting counted? Sure. Um, so now they're sending us to like further away places and we I'm going to Long Island um there have been a lot of uh desperate emails and texts being like does anybody want to go to Florida or Navajo Nation no um where it's like no I'm trying to not get COVID yeah I do want to count them but um so where in Long Island are you going I don't know how to pronounce it but it's C-O-P-I-A-G-U-E Copag, Copag, something. Yeah, Kopeg. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty far out there. It's like a an hour drive. Um, everyone on Long Island thinks they're an hour drive from the city. <laughs> it genuinely like, is an hour. It's literally <laughs> what we say to make ourselves sound cooler. Actually, I'm in Hewlett, which is on the South Shore, so we say 45 minutes. It's bullshit. Um, it's near Jones Beach. That's where I'm going. It takes me an hour to get there. If you've done it, fantastic. Um, but it's good. But is that really hitting the people who would benefit most from the census either? And why am I not aware of the census sabotage? I guess because everything else is on fire. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like a very, I mean, look, the census is inherently boring. Um, any, I think, like sort of government process is boring and there's a lot of minutiae. I just happen to genuinely enjoy bureaucracy and I think it's kind of like a puzzle to figure out that I get to wait in. But um, it's, that town that I'm going to is very interesting because it is a lot of um, Spanish speakers. Okay. um, And then also a lot of Trump people and like, you know, white people who don't trust the government. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag, but everybody deserves to be counted, you know? No, I mean, maybe not. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I understand. But why wouldn't they just do this online? Is there a way to do this online? There is a way to do this online. Um, I think it slips people's minds. They don't even know about it there wasn't a huge outreach. Like what there should be is there should be commercials Yes. on every channel. There should be pop-up ads. There should be, um, you know, community organizers telling people there should be drives to fill out the census, but there isn't that this year. One, because we're not having a lot of community drives, right? Like we can't gather. Um, and two, like that stuff would be paid for by the government and the federal right. government like doesn't want cities to be counted they don't want people People. yeah of yeah it's true but i mean that being said like i have checked eight times to see uh, if i'm a registered voter because it's all over the place like every social media platform i have the opportunity to check and and then i an email or eight you know and i check every time just to make sure i'm not being screwed with but like um but so yes you would think that the census would be something as well, because what, um, what do we do with those census results? So they get used one to decide how many representatives each community gets in Congress, which is like kind of the main one that people it's know a about. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like used for redistricting. It's also used for stuff like funding for schools or community centers or also senior housing, yeah. affordable housing, um, how much money your community gets for that. Like ev everything that is funded on a federal level is determined by the census. So is there a place that we can direct people to? Um... I think it's census2020.org, maybe. I can look it up. It's yeah, different. sorry. <laughs> I've just been going door to door. I should know that, right? No, but I mean, we're talking, we were going to have like a lighthearted haha conversation, but we're talking about something important. And so I kind of want to see where we could direct people. Yeah, let's. Um, I think it's census2020.gov. .gov. That makes sense. It's that okay. Makes sense. I, I it's like know. super easy. Also, if there's something that you don't want to answer, you don't have to. It's like, because some of it's a little personal. How do you know that someone's not responding 8,000 times? So there's supposed to be a quality check in place. Gotcha. Um, but because of the shortened deadline, a lot of that stuff is going to fall through the cracks. So, so perhaps I should respond as a uh, under, you know, impoverished um, minority <laughs> male in order to, young minority male in order to get more support towards i don't know i don't mind breaking the law i've never broken any interesting laws so if yeah this, <laughs> if this is it i i'm all for it but so essentially if we air this soon which now i think we should people can go to 2020census.gov is it 2020 census or is it census 2020 <sighs> i think it's census2020.gov i'll hear oh well here it says 2020 census.gov yeah, well fuck me. but maybe there's a fake one that was my other thought you can also just google the census don't trust google <laughs> haven't you watched uh the social media social dilemma social, whatever yeah <laughs> you can also use acacia as your alternative web browser. Okay, fine. All I know is that my my um, my feed knows how to fuck with me. That's all I know. Okay. Um, and because I'm vigilant about the watching the numbers and waiting for them to go up. Um, we all need our crazy. The death toll numbers? Is that what you mean? Um, or the percentage positives. I'm not really super, I mean, I'm a horrible person, but I'm not wanting the death toll numbers to come up. I'm just wanting us all return to the same level of shit is crazy rather than the denial and the tyranny masks and the um, asshats who don't understand the constitution and so make up constitution laws. Yeah, do you feel like your neighbors fall into the category of like, this is a hoax? So um, it's pretty clear who's, I feel like our Trump supporters have carried out to the this is a hoax thing. You know, like it's the same people that like, I didn't mind in 2016, but now they've gotten worse and a very many of them refuse to believe. And so, at this point, I just like to hashtag science and move on and, or hashtag flat earth. And that's fun too. <laughs> um, I think that we're very polarized, you know, and yeah. overall, like it's a mid, it's middle to upper class community. I mean, the majority of which middle to upper class and um, in theory educated. And yet, um, I don't know, I think we've all been burned by something. And so people are responding according to what's burned them, I guess, you know, mm. um, and people have selfish reasons and 
defensive reasons. And now that it's a police issue, you know, um, yeah, the blue lives matter thing. That's, that's really intact with the, um, they've got their pulse on the civilization right now, clearly. Um, so yeah, I think everything's confusing. And I also think we've gotten, we've swung so far to the liberal that it's, it feels almost impossible sometimes, impossible sometimes to not offend someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know who doesn't mind offending people? Yeah. Conservatives. They're really good at it in general. Right? Um, but I mean, no matter how, how hard I try, I feel like I'm going to offend someone. And so it means constantly learning and people don't want to learn. Yeah. That's an interesting, I think that's like the crux of it, right? It's like people don't want to learn. And no. science inherently is learning. It's saying like, here's what I think is happening. And then you're either proved right or wrong. Right. But whatever you're proved you have to ch- like you have to adjust. That's right. science. It's adjusting. It's science. It's adjusting. It's believing something that very few people can understand um, because it's complicated. Like Seth Meyers had on. Dang, this is the second time I've forgotten his name. Um, Neil uh... Gorsuch. No, but it's also <laughs> I, I, gee, I like that. Um, the super smart African-American scientist. DeGrasse Tyson. Thank you. Um, uh, and he was talking about, he was laughing, but it, it was not so funny. But he was laughing and like, oh, the world's ending. Ha, ha, ha. But then we were talking about the um, refrigerator asteroid, you know, that's coming to uh, today, I believe, actually. And... Uh, explaining the science of it and I started getting a little bit confused but but I at least feel like I'm talking to a scientist I'm gonna yeah. his opinion it's it's hard too because I I remember reading somewhere that like every generation has thought that the world is gonna end right like every 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 era every every generation has their like doomsday thing but like one of those generations is going to be right. I think it's, it's ours. At some point. This one, yeah. And like, like, were the dinosaurs also, like, did they, like, who knows what they were capable of thinking, but like, was there also ever like a doomsday scenario thing? And then one day, like, there really was a comet that destroyed everything. So it's like, yeah, I don't want to be alarmist. I am like trying to be aware and I'm trying very hard not to spiral because that's my tendency sure. and I know that. But like, I mean, they might be right. <laughs> you've seen Ice Age, any of the Ice Ages, you know, this cartoon. Yes. I mean, they kind of knew what was going on and they were kind of right. And I don't remember them having massive fires. I- I'm also from Florida. So the fact that we run out of hurricane names and then go to the Greek system, that was a shocker for me. So I grew yeah. up with hurricanes, you know. Um, for things to get so bad that you have to learn a new alphabet. Right, right. Which, I mean, unless you were a sorority girl, which I was not, so I never bothered learning that. But still, um, yeah, it's a little crazier. It's even crazier. Yeah. Um, on a slightly lighter note, um, <laughs> uh, how did you get into comedy? Uh like how did I get into doing it? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, was that a complicated question? Kind of. Well, because how did I get into 
com- like I've always- The answer is usually improv classes or comedy. Okay. It wasn't improv classes. I mean, I, I'm Jewish. So like there's very much, yeah. You've, if you've seen any of my comedy or just looked at me and listened to me, you know, I'm nope, Jewish. Nope, you like, don't look as Jewish as I thought you were. And you don't look as Jewish as you did like 12 years ago. So go. <laughs> I've really grown into my features, yeah. but um, there's, there is like a value of, of comedy, of laughter, because it's like such a tragic culture of like constant whatever. So like, that's always been, I think, in the background subconsciously without even realizing it. And then when (laughs) I was in college, uh, my senior year of college, I graduated into the recession. Um, I graduated with a Spanish degree and couldn't get a job except as like a temp. But can you roll um, your R's? I can roll my R's. Okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, it became sort of like a, oh, I also used to be a musician. I was a saxophone player and then developed like really bad jaw problems. So I had oh. to quit. Okay. And so I think I had like a sort of uh, an urge, a yearning to perform because that's always been part of my life and didn't know what to do with my life. I was listening podcasts that sort of like just started happening and just coming to the forefront. And I had a student uh, job as a, in a library where I wasn't like doing anything and I would just listen to podcasts Sure. and listen to a lot of comedians who would say, you know, like if you ever want to do comedy, you just, you go to an open mic and you just start. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's all you do. You just like, you just start. Um, so I like got curious and I had nothing else to do. And I was like young and dumb and single and like wanted to fuck somebody. And um, that's actually the way you do comedy, I think. <laughs> and comedy is like a male dominated. That's kind of the way you do it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also like my friends, we were all graduating. My friends were leaving. It was like, I need to find a new community. So I found an open mic uh, there was like one in New Orleans at the time. I was. At, oh, did you? Where Where did you go to school? Tulane. Okay. Uh, so I. So like, your parents signed... must be so proud about the education <laughs> they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but so I like signed up for this open mic and I went and I I think I think for most comedians the first time is good is always good because you're so delusional and you've never experienced a bomb so you only have confidence and because of that it was great and it it was a high that I was like I want to chase that that's the best adrenaline I've ever felt um and I was just like floating on cloud nine for the rest of the night and then my second time was good my third time was awful and then it was bad for like a year oh great (laughs) where is there I would be scared to go to a comedy club in Tulane in like the new Louisiana, New Orleans area. Why? I don't know. Cause I don't, so my, my husband went to law school there. My brother went to college there. I have been there a lot. I just don't remember. I feel like it's one of these, like you walk too far and wonder if you take five steps too much, too many, you end up in like the slummiest place ever. And then five places in the other direction. And it's like, oh, it's just girls showing boobs for necklaces. You know, like it's a very, um, 
Also alligators. So, <laughs> well, alligators, not so well actually, but alligators are not territorial and not aggressive generally. Okay. Um, I mean, they're territorial, but like they're not not like crocodiles, where crocodiles will just like fuck you up no matter where you are. Gotcha. Alligators are like, this is my area. Leave me alone. I'll just chill here. And like, yeah, I'm gonna eat some fish. Okay. Um, crocodiles are the ones you got to be afraid of. Gotcha. I recently watched several videos. The Texas hurricane where something was some sort of gator was eating. I don't know. Fine. Yeah, I mean they're not ideal. They will kill your dog, but um, but but, I mean I don't know. I think place to. I wouldn't say it's safe-ish. I would just (laughs) say like you can get. I just feel like you can get raped and murdered anywhere, like on any block. Yeah. (laughs) This is sometimes. Sometimes your anxiety is so strong that it, (laughs) from being afraid of the things maybe you should be, but. Right. So comedians also need anxiety. I don't know what comedians need. (laughs) I, I mean, I do, I am anxious. Um, and I am depressed. Yeah, well, you're gonna have to take a number on this one these days, but but I do think most comedians have a dark, um, a dark side. I think it's not unusual from the people I've spoken to, and I think it's what, how are you handling that darkness during this time, you know? Yeah, it depends on the day. You watch tennis, so, so you know. I watch tennis. <laughs> well, yeah, we won't we won't talk about because I know you're inherently not interested in tennis. But no, I was um, interested in one thing you said about someone attacking a referee. Oh, n- nobody attacked a referee. So uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, who is the men's number one in tennis, he's like an incredible player. He's also like famously an asshole. Nice. Um, he uh, during COVID. Uh, he held a he like put on a tournament that had no distancing and a ton of tennis players got COVID oh. and it took them a really long time to recover some of them uh he's just like he's kind of a dick he's like trying to start his own tennis union but is like as a you know sort of like so we can get paid more but is specifically excluding women he's just like he's a dick but he's an incredible player and he uh during a match like got real pissed off and sort of like slammed a ball and it hit a lineswoman in the throat. Oh, he was okay. disqualified because of it. But do you not remember, you're probably too young to remember like the, like tennis, we used to be all about the assholes. Like everyone that played tennis totally. was an asshole, you know? It's like, it's very, I mean, McEnroe, I think was like the original yes. asshole. Um, but then, you know, you had like the era of Federer, who's very just yeah. like, proper and like a nice guy he never gets emotional if you see it on him it's like very rare and he's been you know he's like top of the game for a long time yeah and then I think I think uh Serena and Venus Williams were good like I don't find either one of them to be assholes unless I've missed something uh it's like it's tough they have a refu a reputation certainly is like being right. more emotional, but that's also very coded. And it's yeah. like, 
okay, and if they were white, would you be saying these things? And that is why I'm saying I do not think it, you know, like, uh, that's like the tone policing. Yes. Yeah. Serena does get very emotional, though. Like, there are, there is, like, a difference in style. Like, some players, like, you never see what they're feeling on their face. Like, Naomi Osaka is one of those players who, like, she's just always cool as a cucumber. And Serena will, like, yell, and she'll argue back with the, with the umpire, which is also something that, like, the longer you play, I think the more you learn to stand up for yourself. Um, right. And there's a also, lot of things that men do and she gets in trouble for it. That's exactly where I was going with it. Um, and then I believe Naomi Osaka was the one who you said wore a different mask each day for. Yeah. So she um, she didn't just like wear. So she she wore a mask for each uh, each match with the different name of a black person who's right. been killed. Thank you. Um, she but she didn't just do that. She also. Uh, staged a strike after the NBA uh, said like we're not playing unless you do these things she also said like I'm not playing in the US Open which is huge right she's yeah. like she's the uh, she didn't win last year but she won two years before she's like sort of a darling um, but she's half black and half Japanese and said like if like I'm not playing if you guys don't do something and so the the tennis association like put up like a lot of Black Lives Matter signs. They they like were very vocal. And like something that I've never seen in tennis before is the announcers were having legitimate, thoughtful conversations about race and That's about yeah, it's something I've like never and it's it's part of an effort. I mean I think it start started with Venus and Serena. They've like really changed what tennis looks like for women. Like the women's tennis is especially like the younger players are so diverse and yeah. there are so many black female tennis players now especially from the u.s and that's because of them like there's not an equivalent in men's tennis i mean there was like james blake there have been um obviously like black male tennis players but not who are so predominant in the culture and who have been so outspoken and who are still playing well remember it wasn't that long ago that it was just a male sport or mostly a male sport and that women were seen as you know, subpar. Um, and like, couldn't make a living doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the same not being able to make a living thing exists for comedians, uh, men versus women. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it because there are certainly more male headliners than female headliners. Um, and a headliner being somebody who like can tour and gets like the most money. Um, but also it's hard to make a living being a comedian, whether you're male or female. Right. I think, I think the, the subtle disparities come when a headliner is most likely to bring their friends to open for them. Right. And so if you have mostly male headliners, they're more likely to bring a guy and then on the flip side, the female headliners um, get, oh, sorry, uh, get a lot of pressure from clubs to not have two women on the lineup because, oh. and this is changing, but because like, we're all the same or whatever, like, we're just going to talk about our periods and our pussies and da 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 So they get pressure to also bring men to like diversify the lineup. So question. So my husband and I are both psychologists and you and your fiance are both comedians. And mm -hmm. so for some reason I thought 
I blanked. I thought it was like, do I say comic? I'm, I was very into being politically correct at the moment. And I just (laughs) over politically corrected it. Like, do you learn from um, each other? Do you see a disparity? Like, I definitely am aware that because we went to graduate school together and we're, um, I'm in private practice. He's not, but there's definitely still a huge, um, like, yes, most patients are looking for female psychologists because most patients are female because men, especially men, excuse me, men of color are significantly less likely to seek help, but more likely to kill themselves effectively, efficiently, Mm -hmm. um, because they don't seek help and because they're, for whatever reason, men are more likely to own a gun. Um, And so, um, but my husband is more likely to command more money. And although there's a part of that that's me, there's also a part of it that's, I think, a a gender issue. So I'm wondering, like, if you, um, have you, you know, if this, if your personal relationship has led to any insights? um, Yeah, I think so. I, the money thing is hard because uh, my fiance is older than I am. He's eight years older, um, which also means he started comedy 10 years before I did. Right, but you've been together for long enough that I saw a roast where they mentioned him, so. (laughs) Yeah, well, we have a lot of the same friends, but we have very different communities. Okay. Um, Like the comedy, there's there's so many comedians, and the way that we, my fiance and I usually talk about it is like we're in different classes at school, so it's like, it's sort of like saying like, do you get more homework because you're a woman? It's like, well, we're in two, we're taking two different classes. We have two different teachers. Like, it's a little, also like he, like my focus is mostly stand up. His focus is much more writing. Okay. So that's also like a different field. Um, you don't do writing? I write, but like he's like sold shows and written for shows. Um, he like is a, he like has a, he's Nate Bargatze's writing partner. Like I don't have an equivalent for that. Um, I don't know who Bargatze is, I have to tell you. Very funny. Highly recommend. Um, yeah. But, but I also couldn't figure out your fiance's name until five minutes ago stalking your Instagram. Um, and because uh, when they said it in the roast, I couldn't get it spelling correctly. I tried though. I stopped. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, including myself, I ca- call him by his last name. Okay. Which is Shacky. Yes. But his real name is Dan. Yes, but Shacky is hard to spell if you don't know how. So yeah, yeah I stalked it. Um, but so you're saying you're, you're literally just in different specialties. We're in different specialties. I will say like certainly when the Me Too movement happened, definitely when Louis C.K. was outed, there were a lot of long conversations of me having to explain sort of like why this is so bad, which was really frustrating and he has come around. But uh, to, I think for him, he was like, yeah, it's a comedy festival. Like, you know, you, you hook up, like you do stuff like that. And I was like, okay, but how would you feel if, if let's say like Louis took me to open for him, like, would you be comfortable with that? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay. So like, that's a difference. That's an opportunity that I can no longer get. Right. Because you're uncomfortable. I would be uncomfortable but that's a lot of money that I would then have to say no to that a man doesn't have to say no to. Right. So it's much like, it's, it's these subtle ways. Like it's, it's the things that we we sort of like have to say no to, to, in order to protect our own safety. Yes. Um, and then 
there's a, I don't, <laughs> I'm like kind of ashamed of the roast battles. I don't love the things that I said. I certainly no, would never I say most of those it's now. way too, um, that's not my sense of humor. And I don't, I think you, but I also don't, it's a roast. Like, you know. Sure. It is a roast. There was a, a roast battle that I did that is not on the internet because of the way that the judges sexually harassed me. Um, when I got on stage, they like made up a rape fantasy about me. And what was hard is a lot of those judges were friends with my fiance. Yeah. And it, we had to have a long talk about like, yeah, I don't want you hanging. Like, it's a weird thing to be like, I don't want you hanging, like seeing these people, but it's like, yeah, you have to understand, like, if you're at a club hanging out with these guys, like, I will not be there. I will not come. I will never look these people in the eye. I hate these people. Um, it's funny because even what's on, I thought at various points was really, I was impressed that you kept uh, hard skin because even the, you know, two or three that I saw, like it was, it was a lot. And that's why I'm saying like, it became very not funny to see you being, you know, um, berated for the same things. And like, and some of them are not, it's some not funny shit that you've been through. And like, uh, like the one with you and your friend, I was very uncomfortable, but I was also very uncomfortable with what the judges were saying. And like, it was, um, I'm not uncomfortable in a judgy way. I just, um, I thought you were a rock star for keeping a, you know, I don't know what the expression is, but for keeping like a, you know, a smile on your face. And I also feel like, why does this bitch have to keep a smile on her face? Why can't she be like, fuck, you know? Well, look, maybe this is, says something about my own issues, but like, I did genuinely enjoy them. Um, I like, I do enjoy a joke at somebody's expense, especially if that person is my friend. Yeah. Um, um, right. Um, I agree, but I don't think that says something about your own issues. I just thought um, there are some things that it's tough and rightfully should be tough to make funny. Like, um, um, you know, uh, like the rape fantasy or, you know, previous abuse or whatever it is. Like, I, you know, to me, I was like, Ugh. not as a shrink, but as a, a woman, I felt. Um, totally. You know, I felt like there was a line being pushed. Um, obviously, I'm not a comic, and so I couldn't relate to that. But when the Kavanaugh hearings came, it was insane to try to explain to my husband, my father-in-law, any man I knew why this was so horrendous and how many women have been put in a similar you know, position. Yeah. Of like, not raped, but duped or whatever. Mm -hmm. But hurt right? Like, hurt. Hurt, like yeah. violated. I remember uh, I had jury duty uh, last year or two years ago, maybe. And it was a case where like a man had, uh, he had like grabbed a woman on a subway, like grabbed her ass um, and did it a couple of times. And when we were in the deliberation room, you know, it was like a pretty good mix of like men and women. And all of the women, we were all like, that's happened to me. Because yeah. I remember there was one guy in the room who was like, I mean, come on, did this really? And we're like, this has happened to all of us. We have all experienced this. And he was like taken aback and he was like, oh my God, like I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry that's happened to you. And it was like, yeah, there's this disconnect. There's this fundamental disconnect because we're conditioned to not talk about it. Right. Um, and they are conditioned to not listen to it. Right. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I had to pull out from my father-in-law, which is awkward, like a, a you know, a, a tale from when I was like 15, you know, and, um, you know, was totally a dumbass kid, but was like, du- you know, duped into a room or, oh, the lights didn't work. And like, you know, I was not raped, but I was silently placed in, you know, a position where I did not want to be touched and was. And, um, and if you're not a woman, you can't understand why we like, why not do something different? And I think it's similar to like, um, you know, recently people have started like, um, uh, Seth Meyers, yes, I have sort of a thing for Seth Meyers. He did this thing where um, he had some of his, you know, black writers, black female writers come on and I mean, men too, but like talk, especially a woman who is less intimidating at least an average than, you know, a man um, discussing how they were stopped by the police or how, how they were treated or what the difference, you know, like um, we don't know if we don't experience it. And yet um, the Me Too movement obviously didn't do enough because we still got, you know, uh, Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court and, um, and all this other shit. So I guess an additional hurdle in your field is, um, so far, no one has done um, like affirmative affirmative action. Am I using the right word? Like, uh, no, I don't know. So far, there's no bonus uh, offered by anyone for having more female comedians, and perhaps there should be. And maybe that's why I think there there are a lot of comedians that wait until they're older for one reason or another. Like I've, sp- you know, like. And they still get the same shit. Or if you start when you're young, you're burnt out of getting sexualized, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting proposal. I mean, there's certainly nothing like that in the comedy clubs, right? The comedy clubs, there's no, <laughs> there's no incentive for anything except for selling tickets and getting people drunk. Um, in a writer's room, it's a little different. There is, um, this is, a, it's like kind of a little fucked. It's, it's very complicated, but like there is a, called it's literally called diverse like the diversity hire i'm okay with it and and the money does not come from the show's budget it comes from somewhere else um and which makes it less okay but if it's still achieving a goal right it does achieve a goal um i'm obviously like not the person to speak on this of like how it feels for that writer um but there can be complicated issues where somebody looks at you and goes, you are literally just the diversity hire. That said, I, uh, you know, I would take the money. <laughs> I, would, I, I don't know how much money I would probably Get take. Get me in the room. room. Yeah. But I also think that that's the same shit that happens, unfortunately, with, um, like, I have heard people say that they, they only want to go to a white doctor because anyone else who know you know, like somehow a minority's qualifications were um, got them in instead of their brain, you know, and um, so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, you know. Um, and in fact, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know good doctors and crappy doctors, and skin color really has anything to do with my experiences. But um, you know, I think we're still fighting this. And obviously we have to put out whatever fire is burning the brightest. And right now it's clearly Black Lives Matter and, you know, so be it. But I think with Kamala Harris, now we get to see 
the intersectionality, read about this last night at 2 a.m. when I couldn't sleep, you know, the intersectionality of like race and sex and, you know, how we can all get screwed. Um, I don't think as Jewish women, we get the same, you know, like I don't, for whatever reason, right now, at least right now in New York, I feel like it's not, um, I feel like we're more likely to get confusion, confusion as to what a Jew is. Um, or as you said it, you know, did Christ die to save your souls or did we kill him? Which one is it? Like pick one, um, you know. Yeah, are you mad or are you grateful? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was great too. And, um, and it's a very good point. I mean, I went to Georgetown and so I remember asking a question they use the word Eucharist and I don't know what the fuck a Eucharist is. And when I asked the teacher gave me the snide look like, I guess you didn't go to church a lot. I'm like, did it never occur to you that we had a non-Jew in this, you know, like, yeah, really? Um, yeah. But, um, but it's just not the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's different when you can hide it. Yeah. Or when somebody doesn't assume it of you, right? Like it's, and it's also very different in New York where it's sort of ingrained in the culture. Yeah. Like I, I also grew up in grew Kentucky. Up in, it's a little different. Yeah. I grew and you up, grew up in Florida. Yeah. So. Boca Raton, Florida specifically. So like, you know, I didn't know I was a minority until I went to Georgetown. Uh, actually, University of Florida, Gainesville, because it's very Southern up there. Um, and so, you know, I did not that's sort of when I realized that I met people who had never heard of a Jew or knew, knew met one or whatnot. Um, but yeah, no, we're sheltered here in New York in some way. Um, so how do you thrive in your field? <laughs> if I knew. <laughs> I know, but I mean, listen, but you have, I feel like, listen, I'm going to give you credit for the New York Times piece. And yes, it was just one line, but it was brilliant and it stuck with me. Um, yes, I did have to dig out my stalking uh, page. <laughs> um, I don't know. I got the day wrong. Um, but I also think it's a shame. I think you should take advantage of your fiance's connections, any and all, except for the dickheads. Um, <laughs> and I don't think you should sit on like, um, no, I'm going to do this on my own because. You... Oh, no, I would never. Oh, thank God. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I will, uh, I will reach out to anybody and everybody and use whatever yes. I can. I have no pride and no shame. I was going to say that. improve blowjobs, whatever, whatever you have to do. <laughs> do it because um i don't know because it's a tough field to break into you know? it's also like yeah i and you're I, broken in i don't want to give you this <laughs> but like you're broken in but it's also making that point you know well i think certainly when i started there was like a fear of like i don't want to get things just because like somebody's trying to fuck me or whatever and now it's like he's I know a ring on your finger let him fuck you and yeah also like i am I know that I'm very competent. I'm very good at this. So I deserve it because I'm good at this. If yeah. you're giving it to me just because you want to fuck me, that's fine. I'm not going to fuck you, but you can do it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Or if you want to, whatever. I don't Or, know. you know, who knows? We'll see how the... <laughs> it depends what... on the person. Let's not right. judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all have a list. Of... Yeah, exactly. Um, but so how are you keeping sane right now? Um... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, um, 
you know, I, did I stay up until 4 a.m. three nights ago sobbing? Yes, of course. Um, so there, there are those nights. I'm trying to make sure I get dressed every day. That's a good one. Um, it has, I will say, it's gotten much easier to be sane as I've gotten a little busier. So like once I've like started doing the census, like actually having a job, um, when the show's are more frequent like when I can go to parks and yell like that's still very helpful um but I'm trying to do yoga with yoga with Adrian has helped a lot um so I like physically feel stronger even if like you like I'm I'm still drinking and like eating whatever so I haven't lost any weight but I'm trying to be much better about like recognizing that that's not the point that's not the value like the value is like to feel strong is yoga with Adrian a, perf- a, a certain thing or is it a friend yes it's this YouTube channel um her name is Adrian yoga with Adrian is the channel and she's like she, I think she has like a cult following I think I am in that cult okay um, I'm ready I'm sorry if she out. if she started a religion I would be like yeah that's fine I'll, I'll do it um um, I'm starting my yoga teacher training on Saturday because I've always wanted to do and I'm not getting any younger and I'm fucking terrified. Um, so, but I could use some practice. So perhaps yoga with Adrian will be for me. And I can't remember Sanskrit to save my life. My kids have learned it, but I have not because cool. dumb old mom. Um, so <laughs> you're finding ways it's self-care. Yeah, I uh, deleted my social media apps. So I can still go on through the browser, but it's real annoying. So I don't scroll as much. So how Um, am I going to find your humor on Twitter? That is not happy. I still tweet. I still, I still write jokes. I just don't have it in front of me to like scroll and read everybody else's. So I still go on and I like put up my little joke or whatever. And I still like post stuff on Instagram, but it's not like a thing that I will now just pick up and spend hours doing. How does that help you? I've been reading a lot more. What are you reading? Because of it. Uh, Right now I'm reading this book called Fleischman is in Trouble. Hmm. Um, It's, it's like a very New York novel. It's really good. I really like it. Um, And then I'm also trying to read a lot of young adult books because I, after that New York Times article, uh, like a literary agent reached out and like asked if I would consider writing young adult stuff, which I don't know how to do. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you the finger. So after that, someone just randomly was like, why don't you write a young adults novel? Yeah. I fucking hate you. Um, I mean, congratulations. Uh, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, this is also after 10 years of just toiling in obscurity. And No, it really doesn't. My, <laughs> my, no, um, I have a, I won a Cosmo fiction contest. That's so and, cool. Yes, it was in 2003. It was the first ever and last ever. And hmm, I got an agent from it, but we never found a publisher. And then my first book came out. I usually have it. I have okay, it. miss. Fuck you. Here's my book. No, 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 wait. It came out March 18th. <laughs> oh, no. We had an enormous party planned. <laughs> Cradle of Aviation Museum, which is like the Long Island, like, schlubby, like, um, it's not, it's like a wedding venue, and you know, but it's like the Air and Space Museum. 
I had, was going to use it to raise awareness about preventing teen suicide and um, 10 Steps and the Stigma. I have a book from Mar signed by Margaret Atwood in my basement and 6,000 other celebrities. And, um, and then we closed. And so... 42 years of waiting for it. Oh, sorry. Someone <laughs> offers you a book. So that sucks so much. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> like my closet, my entire house is filled with like, I mean, shit that was going to decorate and signs. And like, I had someone did, was going to donate food, booze. This was going to be a huge thing. And then it was and the sad thing is we were going to release it in December because it's a self-help book. And then um, we got, because um, I have a co-author, we got like uh, support, validation, I don't know what the fuck you call it, like uh, a stamp from the, in, the United Nations International Day of Happiness. But that was going to be on March 18th, possibly 20th. So we decided to wait to wait. I'm not saying it would have been a fucking bestseller, but at least it wouldn't have been like a tree falling in a forest where everyone <laughs> is in quarantine. <laughs> so, um, oh man. So that That's is phenomenal. Um, I know some great YA authors that I have met. Uh, Gay Polisner is fantastic. She also released, uh, she released two books during the pandemic um, and just a ton of people. So write something and make it amazing and um, I'm going to just be giving you the finger from. <laughs> well, it's hard because I haven't read a young adult book since I was a young adult, right? Like, right. They've changed a lot. Yeah. Like so, there's okay. a lot more nudity and boob grabbing and stuff now. Feels much more like, uh, well, it's the combination. Some of it feels like very fantastical, but a lot of it feels much more like uh, real and grounded to like what kids actually go through. Yes. Um, Gay Polisner wrote a great one about it's in front of me because whatever it's called the memory of things. And it's about nine 11 um, mm -hmm. and what happened after. Although how old were you in nine 11? I was 11, 12. Oh, go fuck yourself. Okay. So it'll be new for you. I'm not that much younger than you. I'm 31. It still feels younger. I was, it was my first day of, my second day of graduate school. Um, so somehow it seems, so you couldn't have been 11. One of us can't do math. I don't know who though. Um, I know I was in middle school, so I was okay. at least 11. So were you traumatized? Um, You're Israeli. You don't give a fuck about it. <laughs> I'm not Israeli. <laughs> There's no Israeli. No, um, but you were named after the prime minister, I thought. No, no, no. That's a joke. Oh, Oh. Um, no, funny. I'm named after my grandfather. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, was I traumatized? Maybe. I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't think I've ever like asked. It felt, it felt far away. Like I didn't know what the Twin Towers were before they fell. Um, and I had never been to New York before. So uh, I guess so in the way that like all of us were because everything had to shift and change. I remember I like really wanted to have like a flag outside of our house because there was that like brief period of solidarity where like we yeah. were like we are Americans before like that meant something racist. horrible. Yeah. Before we went to wars for no reason. Right. For That's... our generation. <laughs> See, I um, remember the uh, Gulf Wars where we had yellow ribbons for reasons I didn't understand. Mm. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I think I'm much more traumatized from April in New York. Because we never knew this was going to happen. I mean, we didn't know 9-11 was going to happen either. Well, somebody did, but. Valid, but this was just a horror movie plot, nothing else. I mean, the, I, the, the worst, the worst moment, because obviously there were the sirens, right? Like that was terrifying and awful, but like in the background a little bit, it became, you could like sort of become a little, not numb to it, but it faded. But we live like a block away from a funeral home. And I remember one night, like pretty late, walking my dog and hearing like, something like rumble like a really loud like truck and I was like what is that noise and realized it was a refrigerated truck in the parking lot of the funeral home for the overflow of bodies yeah and it just stayed there for a really long time and like that I think for me was the moment of like oh this is this is a this is this is really bad. And we're like, this is a horror movie. Yeah. And also my fiance's uncle died like week two from COVID and we couldn't have a funeral. And that was, that's something that's like still traumatizing. Of course it is. It's traumatizing for both of you and the trauma is going to continue. Yeah. And I think like what's just to like bring it full circle to be able to like perform right now and to talk about it like I'm I'm trying very hard to like not shy away from this collective experience that we're all having in different ways but like I ask usually at some point like who stayed the whole time and then whoever claps I say like okay so those are the traumatized people um which is not to say that if you left you don't have your own trauma but it is I think like a unique thing having been here. And then I also want to be very careful of like not glorifying that trauma of not being like, well, we're real New Yorkers. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like it, yeah. we're, we just don't, we're just poor. <laughs> like We just didn't have the option to leave. I know. But sometimes I think we try too hard not to be, not to offend. Yeah. But I think we also, I think there is like a, something about New York that I've is like, uh, New Yorkers like to glorify horrible things because it's New York, right? Because those horrible things happen on a grander scale because living here is harder. And the only way to cope with that and to justify living here is to say like, well, that's what makes you tough. That's what makes you a real New Yorker. And I challenge that notion. I don't think that's what makes you a real New Yorker. I think what makes you a real New Yorker is like having a, a, being able to, uh, exist and thrive in a place where you shouldn't exist or thrive right it's it's having a sense of community without having to talk to anybody like that's what being a new yorker to me is um and so i do want to be very careful in my sets about like you're not better than anybody because you've been through more trauma you're just traumatized. Right. Okay. Although I will say, and I know we should wrap up soon, but two things, like one is um, to me, because I did read Caitlin's book and when she talked about talking to bodega cats, I was like, no, that's a real New Yorker. Yes, Um, absolutely. You know, I was like, that's just so New York and no other place. Um, And then two is there is a lot of research that suggests that, um, if you go through trauma, 
prepares you to be more resilient for the next time it comes mm-hmm. around because somehow we learn to get through it. Um, so I think in this, eventually we will get to a point of strength, um, having gone through this, but, uh, 100%, this, this is a trauma time and I hate and envy those who are in denial, but like stabby hate them. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice that like, I, it's, I think like, like you're just, you're too smart, but like, wouldn't it be, do you ever imagine what it would be like to just be dumb, to be kind of dumb I and like dumb. capable of ignorance? No, I want to be dumb. I really do. I used to hate dumb people, dumb and ugly people, but now I'm starting to want to be dumb. Yeah. It seems easier. It seems yeah. nice. I know. Um, where can people find you on your few and far between social medias? And how about New Yorkers who might want to come out to shows or those like underground speakeasies and we're not allowed to talk about them? So we can talk about them. They are, I don't have them on my website because they pop up pretty much like the night before. Fine. Um, but I do post either on Instagram, which is, uh, it's at Ariel S. Elias. So the yeah. letter S is. It was a while name. where I thought your name was Ariel Celius. And so then yeah. I can find you on Twitter. So yeah. Yeah. Ariel Elias was taken. And I don't know. There is, if you, if you email Ariel Elias at gmail.com, there is a very angry man in Argentina <laughs> who will reluctantly forward it to me, but nice. he's gotten a lot of like weird sketches sent to him. <laughs> um, um, and is it the same? Uh, it is the same. It's on the same Twitter? on Twitter. Yeah. At Ariel S. Elias. Wonderful. It looks like Ariel Z. Elias. I know. That's why I thought it was Celius and I was very confused. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Hi guys, I am so excited um, to share this episode with you. And yes, I took a brief break from releasing episodes because damn, we all need a break once in a while, especially full-time remote schooling. Yeah, Uh, moving along. There's a lot of shit going on uh, in this world lately, uh, not to mention in my house. And there's a lot of days where it can be tough to find that perfect balance between laughing at life, crying in the shower, and holding each other up so that we don't fall down. But today's guest, uh, Ariel Elias, is really doing a bang-up job combining all of those things. She is adorable and smart and caring and clever and making a difference in a world that really needs people to make a difference. And I don't even think she would describe herself as making a difference. Um, She is a comedian. Uh, She's also a New York City Jew, which is totally surprising. That was sarcasm. But she's actually from Kentucky, which means I think there was a tornado that brought her here. That's Kansas. Who knows? Uh, Anyways, if you want to find out how many Jews actually live in Kentucky, there's a way. Uh, Kentucky Jews, fill out the 2020 census form. All you got to do is go to 2020census.gov. Why am I talking about this? Well, 
it's important, A. Uh, and B, uh, last year around this time, you would have found Ariel performing at the uh, New York Comedy Club, The Stand, Stand Up New York. She is also a vicious roast battler. Um, and she's beautiful. So it's really uh, a dichotomy to hear her rip people to shreds from that beautiful voice. Uh, okay, maybe I've got a little girl crush on her, but don't worry, I won't stop, maybe. Anyways, uh, this year you're more likely to find her performing in a park and then suddenly running like hell if any cops show up because yeah, that pesky pandemic thing. Uh, Ariel is also, like I said, working for the 2020 sentence and here's why. It is more important to fill out that census than to vote for president. To be clear, vote for president. I'm doing a little Hail Mary, but the wrong way because I'm a Jew. But regardless of who wins the presidential election, again, sign of the cross, uh, the census results will determine the uh, number of reps each state is allotted in the House of Representatives. Uh, the results are used to determine which communities need more funding for schools, roads, health care, uh, Medicaid, Head Start, grants for mental health services, nutrition assistance programs. These are all need-based, not only on financial need, but also on quantity of people. If your community doesn't participate in this survey, your community's needs cannot be met. You know, the best part of hosting this podcast is that I never know where the conversations are going to go because I purposely never plan anything out because then I'll just get really nervous and start reading notes and sound awkward. Kind of like the intros. But uh, once it became apparent that Ariel's pandemic day job was crucial to our country's future, our conversation suddenly changed and it was amazing. And I felt like we connected. I promise I'm not going to stalk you. Maybe a teensy bit. But really, I suddenly, it occurred to me how desperate we needed to get this word out um, because I don't think I would have paid much attention to the 2020 census before. And now I know that we need it more than ever. Please, please, please uh, go to 2020census.gov. You can respond online or by mail, um, mail and vote, or you can answer the door when someone like Ariel rings the bell. Yes, I know. I don't answer doorbells either, but we should. Make it your goal to do this ASAP. It does not take that long. But by April 1st would be great because think how long it takes them to process that information. Ariel is an amazing badass doing great things and she makes me laugh these great big belly laughs that I desperately need. You should follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Ariel S. Elias. And for the last fucking time, go to 2020census.gov and please census. You know, that's what they call it, right? Census. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, 
please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.